This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm your host, Dallas. And I'm Anne. And this week we're missing Alexis. Oh, no. She died, actually, everyone. <laughs> Rest it in was, peace. It was a tragic puppy-related incident. That, she will be missed. Yeah. Uh, it definitely can't be blamed on anyone, though. It definitely wasn't my fault. It was. It didn't have anything to do with Grant Morrison, either. <laughs> we actually told her to read The Invisibles, and that was it. She was all done. <laughs> She's all done. <laughs> she got sucked inside a painting. Yeah. <laughs> She's actually inside the painting that ate Paris. No, she is on a trip with her lovely boyfriend up in Idaho at a lake. So I hope she's having a great time. Um, I wish I was at a lake. I know. I just have to go to work like a chump. Just sit here and make this podcast. My gosh. (laughs) All right. For today's episode, we are going to be going over and discussing a big old chunk of My Hero Academia. (laughs) Oh, just us, basically a whole season. If for anyone who just watches the anime, we just covered half of season three and half of season four. So we got a lot done. We did get a lot done. I There's this weird balance where I'm like, manga chapters go so much faster than Western comics. And so I'll give myself so much more of them. <laughs> and so every time, like right at the end, I'm like, I got 30 chapters left and an eye twitch, but we're going to do this. But it's always so good. I feel like my relationship with manga is funny. I binge read it for like three weeks and then don't touch it again for a year. And that's just how I like it, baby. Oh, I go I go several years. I will go through phases. I am currently in like the lull of one of my phases. I'm just getting back into like an anime phase, but a manga phase, I think I'm still a little bit away from my next one. But yeah. I can feel it brewing. I See, with manga, I have a hard time watching it because basically... Television shows fall into two camps for me. There's background TV, and then there's focus on it TV. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, manga, I'm always like, you're going to be a background TV thing. And it's like, no, Dallas, you have you have to watch this. You can't just listen to this. Oh, that's why everyone gets on me, because I watch, I watch dubs. I mostly watch dubs, and that's because it allows it to be a background thing when I need it to be. Mm-hmm. Subs, you have to focus, because you have to read along. Yeah. <sighs> but, like, so... What's your relationship with anime and manga like? Is it a big part of your life? Just It's, I don't think it's a big part. It's a moderate part. There's definitely ones that I like more than others. I'm definitely not like a huge fan. Like I'm, <clears throat> I have ones that I like, but I don't have like favorites or anything like that. Um, let's see. I definitely, I have a favorite author. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's just Junji Ito. I love Junji Ito's work. I discovered that during quarantine last year. And that it's was so good. It's funny to say that such horrific stuff was like a lifesaver, but it really re-sparked um, a lot of my love for the genre there. 
it's just because his horror is so much exactly my type of horror just weird cosmic body horror type stuff it's oh it's so creepy i love it mm-hmm. um there's i sometimes struggle finding like manga that i really like because <laughs> you know me i need to find something that's the right balance between like awesome female characters but also respect for those awesome female characters <clears throat> so sometimes i run aground of some issues that are just too much for me to get through but when i find a story that i really like then i can binge it in like a week like yeah. death Note, um neon genesis um tokyo ghoul is one of my absolute favorites of all time i adore tokyo ghoul <laughs> see i think you know it's not my favorite but oh, i like yep. that you like it i like that you like it that's that's the important thing that's the great thing about subjectivity yeah exactly someone always is gonna like something that you don't and that's great yeah see i think with for me with manga i i think i did myself a little bit of a disservice for a while where i was like all manga is shonen jump manga and like other than superhero shonen jumps i haven't really found one that i've connected with a ton i read it a lot and i'm like i feel like I'm coming into this too late in life. Right. If that makes sense. I'm like, if yeah, I had, I, if I had started this when I was like 14, when I started Western comics, this would be my shit. But alas, it doesn't connect with me in the same way. But like, as soon as, kind of like you said with Junji Ito, as soon as I started finding books by like Urasawa, Junji Ito, mm-hmm. all of the like manga that wasn't under that same umbrella. I really, really fell in love with it. Like, Akira is one of my favorite stories of all time. Uh, I love Junji Ito. Sneak peek behind the curtain. Next week, I'm covering a Junji Ito book on our book club. The one that got an Eisner this week, this oh last week. Oh, my gosh. So. I'm excited. I am very excited as well. I've got the book sitting over on my table. I got a physical one because I love that man. But, so I really, like... I think my quarantine book that saved me was the ping pong manga. I feel terrible. I don't remember who it's by right now, but it's over there on my shelf. I read the crap out of those books and I was like, what a beautiful, beautiful thing Mm -hmm. that I am going to forget to come back to on a regular basis because (laughs) Western comics never stop, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) It's, It's like, you gotta, you gotta balance them. And sometimes it's so hard. So you definitely feel yourself leaning more towards one than the other. And manga can be so bingeable. I think you bring it up, like, the chapters feel shorter. And I don't know if it's just because literally they're shorter. Because, you know, reading a chapter of My Hero, it's only, like, 18, 19 pages long. Mm -hmm. And just the way the art's set up, I think it feels like it takes less time to get through. So I think that makes reading through it easier. And that's definitely something that separates them from more western comics and yeah, you're never going to bump into a nine panel grid manga you yeah know? you're not going to find the heroes in crisis of like <laughs> a kame ga kill that's not going to happen it does not um i do think the pacing of manga is really interesting that's something i i thought while we were reading this chunk of my hero was that like it it's so decompressed mm-hmm. you know I'm like, all right, they're going to take 100 chapters to tell two story arcs. All right, dope. Whatever yeah. works for you guys, you know? But so there'll be times when I'm like, I've been reading this fight for 10 chapters. Mm-hmm. Like, what the heck is going on? Let's get, And then I'm like, well, 
you can't really be mad because the 30 chapters before that was all character work. So like the balance is, is definitely there. It's just so decompressed compared right. to Western novels. They don't have to fit it into a six issue trade, you know? Which is, it's the funny thing reading it, you know, volumes versus <clears throat> single, I'm not sure if they're called issues or just chapters. Cause I, I'm caught up on my hero right now. So I'm waiting for like the next chapter, which I actually think went live just before we started recording this. Yeah. So it's like reading it live is such an interesting thing. Cause I feel like I read a chapter and it almost never feels like it's just enough. Sometimes it does, but most of the time I read it, I'm like, okay, this feels like part one of two. I can't wait for part two in any time from a week to a month from now. Yeah. So the pacing sometimes bugs me in that regard, but reading it, you know, in volumes like I usually do, it's it makes it so much, I feel like just from a pacing aspect, more accessible because it feels like you start reading it and you just get sucked right in. You start reading it and it's easier to just go all the way through. And that makes you want to pick up the next volume, the next volume. <clears throat> I think from that aspect, it's definitely very interesting. I've definitely learned about myself what's what things I need to binge and what things I can read mm -hmm. in chapters. And... I don't think I'll ever care to get caught up on like a manga because when I decide to read it, I like to just go for like a hundred chapters, you know? Right. I feel like, and I also feel like it would drive me nuts not knowing exactly when the release is going to be. I know they like put it on the app, but just like it could be a week or it could be a month. Like that just give me an eye twitch. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just whenever the author is done, that's when you get your next chapter. Yeah, which is probably healthier than what we do to the poor Western comics people where yeah. we're like holding the gun to their head. We're like, if you don't get this done right now, we're going to hire a fill-in artist and everyone will blame you oh forever. I'm just thinking about how bad everyone reacted to the last issue of Robin this month. Yeah, oh my people God. were not kind. Nope. <laughs> you get all the panels on the, the timeline, just people saying, what did they do to my boy? You're like, oh, poor... For that artist. I always feel bad. I try really hard not to say mean crap on Twitter because I'm like, right. if I stumbled across that, it would ruin my whole day. You know, if someone's like this episode of the Comics Collective was worse than usual, I'd be like, sad boy hours. I would too. I'm like, oh, damn it. Lexi really is that crucial. We should have waited. She is. She is. We should have give. we should have taken a week off. But I don't think we could convince her to read 100 chapters of a manga. I think I she would think laugh so. us out of the building. <laughs> She's like, I will read, I will read 10. I will, I will, I will read seven. Ten. I will read seven <laughs> chapters. And we're like, that doesn't even count. She's like, seven. Pick any seven in the middle. It's like, okay. <laughs> Perfect. Love that girl. Oh. And then she'll just do what I did and just watch the anime and say, oh, that's the refresher. I'm, I'm the kid that <laughs> for the book report in school, I just watched the movie and that's it. <laughs> I definitely felt that yesterday at the Green Knight. I was like, man. All those college kids that have to read this book for a history class, you finally got a movie to watch. Go, you guys. Wait, is The Green Knight really based on a book? Yeah, it's a, it's a 14th century poem. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow. I had to read it for my World Civ One class, freshman year of college. Okay. It's pretty good. Nice. Okay, I'm, I feel cultured now. Yeah, look <laughs> at that. I loved that movie, by the way. I can already sense, I'm like, I'm going to defend this movie for the rest of my life. Oh, I'm. I, I need to go see it. I'm. I need to get back in the the habit of going to see movies again. I think if you go in expecting it to be like 
a clashing swords night movie, you're going to be really disappointed. But if you go in expecting like a dark fantasy, like I, it was really helpful. I went to go see it at Alamo draft house in Brooklyn. And before they ran like an interview with the director, he's like, these movies are what I pulled from. Like, Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, The Dark Crystal, and just like listed all of these like dark fantasy things. And I was like, okay, there's not going to be a lot of like swords in this. Right. And That's- so having that expectation, I adored it. Yeah, that kind of checks out because it's A24. So yeah, seeing they were doing also- something like that was also like, that feels off. But now that you're saying, now that you're saying this, it, it makes more sense. So yeah, I'm an A24 show. I'm a. I'm every pretentious thing that could bother you. That's who, that's what I am as a person. My wife is like, what if we didn't go see another A24 film about nothing? And I was like, honey, we have to. We, we're going to. We're going to. We've got, I've got two modes, superheroes and A24, honey. <laughs> Those are the two movies that we see. Oh, boy. But yeah, so quick plug, go see The Green Knight. It's very good. But... Anyway, my hero. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Deku is a green knight. Got green hair. Look, it's relevant. Boom, bada, bing. <laughs> All right, so my hero, we pick up with our reading right after the retirement of All Might. Oh, that was... <clears throat> that was... I remember watching... Because I watched the anime first, and then I picked up on the manga after that. Mm-hmm. Watching this fight was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And it was so gut-wrenching the whole time. I can't remember the last time that anything stressed me out as much as all for one versus one for all. Yes. See, like, I I like that this book actually has consequences mm-hmm. in a way that I feel like a lot of superhero stories don't. Like, I wholeheartedly believe, like, there's never a point where All Might's going to come back. You know, like, no matter how yep. far down the road we get, I'm like, they, he's not coming back as one for all you know what i mean like that part is over and i think that that's a weird place to be in as a superhero comics fan (laughs) where like we're literally right now in superman comics we're gearing up to send kal-el out on his way right and have jonathan kent be the superhero and i'm like it's literally john john kent is just they invented deku for dc comics that's what they did (laughs) you look at that original design and you're like "Mm, Mm, okay i know who that is (laughs) But, like, I have no faith. No matter how good this book is, mm-hmm. Clark Kent's coming back. And right. there will be another status quo. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so I think that this this chunk of the book really explored an area that I haven't seen in a superhero comic. Where, like, the the legacy characters are actually having to become the main characters. Yep. And they will yep. be that way forever. And it is. I yeah. can guarantee it is. Which is fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And you get these great arcs with these kids realizing for themselves, like, oh, I'm going to have to step up. Like, I'm going to have to be the grown-up at some point. There's no diving back into being a Robin for Tim Drake and these, you know? Mm-hmm. You got to be a grown-up. Yeah, and it takes the, the safety mat out from under you. There's no there's no net to catch you anymore. It's when he points and says, now it's your turn, he, he literally means this, this is it. Mm-hmm. You got to get ready because next time I'm not going to be here. I think it was interesting as well, though. I feel like this chunk of manga really spread the field more. I feel like the the first hundred chapters we read were, or the first hundred chapters of the manga, were very much like the Deku and Bakugo and All Might show. 
Mm-hmm. Like everyone else was there, but like it was about them. It was about what was going on with them. And then this time, there were like long stretches where I was like, I wonder what the hell Deku's up to. <laughs> oh, where's Broccoli Boy? Where's Where's Grumpy Pow Pow Fists? I don't know. Mm-hmm. We're gonna read this whole backstory for Red Riot and make him my favorite character. <laughs> and it's it really opens up the world in that way too especially the work studies arc you mm-hmm. get to see like what heroes actually do you get to meet more heroes you just get for the first time you get to step outside the school and really just get to explore it's it's fantastic in that regard and just seeing i because you know you get out of the classroom a lot during these couple arcs seeing the um what the heroes have to go through to um get their licenses is crazy mm-hmm. it's ridiculous and it's I love the subtle world building they do with stuff like that. Cause it's just how crucial these people are to their lives. Cause you have a world where everyone has powers. You have to have a way to keep that in check because that is everyday chaos all the time. For sure. Yeah. And I, that's one, one of the huge strengths of my hero academia, I think is just the range of powers and characterization mm-hmm. of powers like, it really hit me when we were going through, and one of the pro heroes just had, like, a centipede for a head. Like, that was his thing. Yeah. And I was like, man, this book rules. Like, every, there are so many people in Western comics that, like, my power is I'm strong and I fly. Right. And I'm like, I love you for that. But, like, <laughs> I'm like, you've never done anything wrong in your life, and I know that. <laughs> but, like, there's something really special about being like, this main character's just as if she touches things, they float. Like, all right, that's cool. That gives a lot of storytelling potential that right. you don't see in other superhero comics. And I think part of it has to do with the way the world's set up. Because, like, in other superhero comics, it's, like, a small, small percentage of the population has powers. So I feel like you don't need to be as creative because there's, like, that main pool of powers you can pull from and use them in different ways. But when everyone has powers, you have to get creative so it doesn't feel like the same person a thousand times over has the same power. So you get people with, like, scorpion heads, and you get people that are, like, (laughs) literal frog people, and you get other people who can shrink their arms into their bodies like a telescope. And it's just, you get all these wacky and crazy characters, and it just makes the world feel so unique and so alive. And that's one of the things that I think really sets it apart from any other superhero comic. And it keeps it feeling fresh every time you go back. Because it's just, that, that is always fun to come back to. It honestly feels like if the X-Men had gotten their start five years ago instead of in the 1960s, and if they had committed to the premise. Exactly. I was actually thinking, it's like, remember when we were talking Doom Patrol, the one um, Mm -hmm. character who has every power that you've never thought of before? Mm -hmm. This world is her if she was like everyone. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it's just, it's fun, you know? Mm -hmm. I, everybody loves... The school for gifted youngsters trope. You know what I mean? Like Harry Potter is Absolutely. huge. Mm-hmm. Um, the X-Men have been huge for years. They're huge again right now. Everybody loves this. And My Hero Academia, I feel like, is number one top dog that right now. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That feels like a, a solid continuation. There'll be another show like that, like this afterwards. There'll be another book like this afterwards. Because there were plenty before. It's just something that people always gravitate towards because it's, it feels like wish fulfillment in like the purest form. Because everyone wishes that their school life was this cool, was this fun. They wish that they were studying stuff this interesting. Mm-hmm. 
And it just, I feel like for a lot of kids out there, it's just something that really makes it easy to cling onto and to jump into. And yeah, even as someone who's out of school, it's something I still wish I could go back and like, I wish this was my high school experience, you know? Exactly. I do think it's so interesting that like, with superheroes being the dominant form of pop culture at the moment, that Mm -hmm. this is the wish fulfillment high school, you know? Yeah. Because like, I grew up, wanting to go to a wizard school you know what i mean and like exactly mm-hmm. and now kids are growing up wanting to be at a superhero school and i just think that it's it's interesting that they they basically telegraphed that however many years ago when this started and they've just capitalized on that again and again and again you know exactly like we're gonna milk these kids of all of their lunch money another ten dollar book came out kids yep. come on down to the book fair and, you know, it it feels like it could be so easy to just make something so shallow and just just a big cash grab. But this this series is so deep, especially in the way it treats its characters. Like, because when I was getting my partner to watch it for the first time, I'm like, oh, you're going to love this. You're going to love this. And you're going to love everyone in it. And they're just like, there's so many characters. How do you keep track of them all? And then over time, it's like you start finding each one of them has their own unique personality, their own unique fears and desires. And it's a class, if you know, like, 20 people and each one of them feels so unique and fleshed out and i think that's something so special because you know talking just in comparison to harry potter not them looking for any chance to throw jk rowling under the bus but um <laughs> i'll get the yeah. mac truck don't worry <laughs> throw her oh my okay toss and it's like all the characters here actually feel like they were considered and thought out instead of just the like core group mm-hmm. and you feel like each one of them could carry their own chapter just on their own and I would love to see them do it and many of them do get the chance to do that down the line but it just it makes it feel so much more than just hey isn't this just a cool school this like look at all these fantastic characters find the one you like the most because I guarantee something is going to happen with them later and I think that's really special I agree I think I think as well, this chunk that we got to read, you finally get to see the kids stop being like, oh my gosh, this is all so overwhelming. I'm the POV character for how crazy this world is until like, I'm going to become a hero. We got to see so many characters step up, be selfless, be brave, and like be earnest. I feel like one of my, if anyone wants to go back and listen to when I talked about the first 96 chapters of this back on the feed, Mm-hmm. I had a hard time with Deku like sobbing every chapter, you know, <laughs> I, I think if I were to read it again now, my heart has been softened a little bit. And I'm like, oh, like that would be overwhelming as a kid, you know, but Deku makes a decision. Like I'm going to be a superhero. I'm going to step up and fill all my shoes. Right. And I think that that's really cool. I, I do think, I'm sure it'll come back up, but I do think that like the ominous prophecy from one for or all for one of like, because you stuck around, you're going to chop this kid off at the knees, you know, like Deku will never be able to be all that he could be because mm-hmm. you stayed around and I didn't. I'm like, okay, I am excited to see that <laughs> work out. I don't know. You're like oh. 200 chapters in the future. Like, Just Oh, you sweet summer child. One or two chapters in the future. I feel like this, for Deku's personal story, I feel like this is about the halfway point for where he ultimately ends up. And I'm I'm so excited for you to see where he goes because there's a lot that happens, especially in these couple arcs, that really set the course for where he goes as a character overall. And it's 
it's exciting because it feels like this is something that feels like it could go on forever because it's like you know they're the first they're at their first year of like a three-year program i believe Mm-hmm. so you know they could pull a harry potter it's like each one of these years is fully fleshed out and you see growth happen through all of them but it feels like they have a set story in mind and they're sticking to it and from a character growth perspective that's really i think that's the smartest move mm-hmm. because it makes everything feel really complete and whole and i think we're finally starting to see a lot of the seeds that get planted here come to fruition and that's very exciting there's a lot here that's more important than you might think it is I definitely I saw the image a couple weeks back of Deku's new suit and I was like, All right, I gotta figure out how Broccoli Boy becomes that because <laughs> that is not the same character yeah. that I knew. Oh my gosh. You you're just a couple arcs away from him discovering some really interesting things about himself. So it's like you think you understand like the base picture now and you understand where he's going. And even then, they still manage to throw curveballs at you and make things even more complicated, but it's not to an overwhelming degree, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's a good way to sum up My Hero Academia. It's always compelling, mm-hmm. and it, but it's never overwhelming in how complicated right. and intricate it all is. I feel like it has a lot in common with like Invincible in that regards, because I feel mm-hmm. like there's many plot threads going on at the same time, different characters who have different arcs that need fulfilled. And it's it could be so easy to lose all those in the mess, but I don't think it ever really does. So, I agree. I think My Hero Academia stands as one of the great examples of an all-age comic. You know, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and I know Jerry Conway has been very vocal in the last few years about how he wants Big Two Comics to push harder back into all-age areas. Right. And I think, frankly, that's the smartest thing they could do. And I think. My Hero Academia is very comforting to me and they're like, I will still enjoy that. Yeah. You know? I and think you, if you'd you, said that five years ago even, I would have been like, but I like my my adult stories, you know? And now I'm like, I... It's not like they're going to stop doing that. Let there be a DC Black label where they do those stories, but like make the right. main continuity fun and wholesome and sweet. Like we right. need more of that. I think there's a stigma around whenever someone says something, I want something to be like family friendly, or if I want something to be like kid safe, that it's going to be a kiddie thing. Mm-hmm. But like, I always think just the way I describe like family movies, like I think of Disney movies <clears throat> normally, like I think like animated Disney movies as family movies in the way that's like, if they're done right, they're going to be enjoyable for younger people, but also there's stuff for everyone to enjoy. Like if you watch, mm-hmm a good Disney movie, there's good messages in there for everyone and it's enjoyable for everyone. There's jokes for adults. There's a joke. There's jokes for kids. There's noticeable character growth that everyone can kind of relate to and, you know, root for. And I think that my hero does that. It has really dark moments, especially in this arc, especially with the Chia Hisaikai stuff and him literally cutting up a young girl to experiment on her. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's really messy stuff. And that's really awful. And there's, you know, there's of course death and consequences, but also it's like, I don't feel like this is something that you would keep hidden from like a kid. Like you could let someone fairly young read this and they would be okay reading it. There's, yeah. The violence is handled tastefully. There's nothing that's like over the top gory, which I know in a lot of manga is really easy to do. And that's often a selling point looking at something like Akame Gakil, where it's like, you read it because it's over the top and gruesome. But this, it's it manages to balance those tones 
in such a way that it's never overwhelming one way or the other. There's the humor that's great, but it never makes the dark moments feel like they don't matter. And the dark moments never feel like make the humor feel like it's out of place. And it's that perfect balance that makes it, in my opinion, something that feels family friendly. I agree. I mean, I handed, I decided to go all digital with my mm-hmm. Shonen Jump manga. And so the few volumes I had, I gave to my 12 year old sister mm-hmm. and like, she loves my hero just as much as I do. You right. know what I mean? And that's very fun for me because I've tried to get her to read Western comics and it like, it doesn't hit the same way yeah. for her for whatever reason. But like I handed her my hero and she was like, Oh, this makes sense. I understand why you love superheroes. Yep. That's fun. That's special, oh, yeah. you know? And I think some of the very best comic books to come out in recent years, I'm thinking specifically of Superman smashes the clan. Mm-hmm they tap into that area too, where they talk about adult things. They talk about, like you said, all ages doesn't mean eight to 10. It means Mm -hmm. all ages. Right. And it's, it asks you as an adult to stretch by like, not just being cynical all the time. And it asks kids to stretch by being like, wrestle with these complex things going on. And I think that that's such a fun place for the superhero genre to go. And I feel like if you do an all ages correctly, there's going to be the messages in there that like only the adults will really click with and understand. But it gives something for the material. Sorry. It gives the material room to grow with the audience. So like if you pick something up as a kid, it can be just a fun action bam power venture. But the more you grow up with it and the more you look at it, the more you realize the messages that are there. Like I've been going back and looking at Avatar a lot recently. And thinking just about how, like, when I was a kid, it's like, oh, this is just a great show about good versus evil. But going back, there's so many messages about, like, environmentalism. And um, I was just watching the Fire Nation stuff yesterday and talking to my partner about how much they show, like, nationalism and how harmful that can be to, like, um, (laughs) different mindsets of making you think, like, everything our country does is great all the time because it's our country. It's Mm -hmm. just stuff that, as a kid, kind of goes over your head. But looking back, you're like, this is making a lot of deeper points about like war and the world and people than I expected it to. And I think that's a hallmark of a really good all ages story. And I think that my hero has a lot of stuff in there like that. It does. All right. Do you have favorite moments from this stretch that we watched <clears throat> that we read? Yes, I do. I, there's a couple, I really appreciate um, just going to one of the smaller ones, the fight between Bakugo and um, Deku Mm-hmm. that took place after the um licensure arc because the licensure arc to me it was fun but it was also it kind of just felt like the other tournament arc you know where it's like we mm-hmm. have to go do this thing to get our license there's not really a lot of consequence here there's not really a lot of big character moments here but the big character moment for me came afterwards because the that rematch between these two where they really tried to settle their differences once and for all and it brings um kachan into the fold mm-hmm. i thought that was really fantastic and that does some really great things going forward so just getting to see his growth matters a lot to me because i always just he always came off to me as just the the fury rage ball who is there to be the fury rage ball mm-hmm. but seeing that he's actually developed as a character since the beginning is something that like proved to me that no this has the stuff this show has the opportunity to really to make something i Especially agree when he said like um he blamed All Might loosening his powers on himself. I thought that was such an incredible, like, emotional beat. Mm-hmm. 
It was, I definitely felt the law, the, that Kachan was missing in right. these books. You know, like he gets that great arc and then him and Todoroki just get like shuffled off to the side. Cause it's like, you two somehow became the main characters and that is <laughs> not the point. And they're like, you're banished to the shadow realm Goodbye. for a hundred chapters. We need people to like the broccoli boy. Yeah. We need crybaby broccoli boy to rise and also Red Riot, the king of them all. Oh my gosh. I I think my favorite moment was when he stood up to just that big old beefy boy, Bane, but with a with a beak. <laughs> beak Bane. Whatever That's what I'll call him. Yeah. Like bullet fist or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whenever when he stood up to him and he just like kept hardening himself and he became like spiky Emma Frost, I was like <laughs> <laughs> oh boy and they just kept doing all the flashbacks that added so much emotional weight mm -hmm. to the decision they were making i think that this stretch of issues or chapters for me is when they really started to use the action scenes as the cherry on top of the emotional story arcs right mm -hmm. and they balanced it so well where they would introduce the fight and then they would flash back and be like this is why this moment is important for this person. And then flashback so that you're like, I felt myself getting chills multiple times reading these books where I was like, oh my gosh, like they're doing it. They're doing it. Oh, I could spend all day <clears throat> just talking about the Chia Hisaikai stuff because mm -hmm. that whole raid underground was just fantastic. From character moments, it was just like, I starting to read this. I didn't expect that there'd be such a huge moment for Red Riot in there. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect that it would expand upon the big three the way it did, or at least two of them. I feel like, ah, uh, what's her name? Um, Hato, I think the the one of the member of the big three who didn't really get any character growth in this, Najere yeah. Hato. Yeah, 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 the vibe lady, the vibe I, checks. <laughs> but um, for Tamaki, um, Sun Eater, that was a really great chapter so for good. him as well. And of course, Mirio Togeda has quickly become one of my favorite characters in this whole thing. The wholesome wholesome boy superman <laughs> it's oh superman <laughs> he is like i love wholesome characters so much mm -hmm. i will never not love a character who wants to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do and mirio is that character he is the perfect comfort character i also loved though the the conflict where you start to think maybe he should have been all might's successor you mm -hmm. know reading that where the story oh, is yeah. like this guy is just like All Might, and he maybe he should have gotten one for all, you know? Right. And so Deku has to almost reprove to himself and you as the reader that he is the right successor because Lemillion is pretty cool. He's pretty yeah. great. And just because I know at the end of this arc, him and Lemillion have a talk about that, and what Lemillion says there is just. It's it's fantastic. It's why he's one of the best people. He is one of the best people that has ever been made, and I'm sad he is not real. We need yes. a million Lemillions in the real world. Exactly. I mean, I love a wholesome character. It's it's aspirational for me, right? Exactly. I want to be like Lemillion. When I choose the right thing, I want it to be just because I want to do the right thing, not for anything else going on in my head, you know? And... I think that's why I love Clark Kent, you know? I think they fill that same little niche for me of, I am choosing to be good because it's the right thing to do. I am wholesome, right. I am earnest, and 
it was really fun to see that character introduced into My Hero Academia. And to see him as, like, the end point of where Deku can be, almost. Where it's like, with three years of training, he didn't understand his quirk very well either, and now look where he is. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, what a great what a great character, and what a great story beat. Oh, and I also love just the small things. Just from, like, a small world-building nerdy perspective, I like how they talked about his power, like, how when he's doing this, light literally can't enter his eyes, so he goes mm. blind, he can't breathe. So trying to get around all that, that's like, it's like all the things you think about when you think about like a permeation character that you're like, could this really happen? Wouldn't this happen? And it's like your mind just starts racing, but then you're like, no, it's just it's a comic, just accept it. But they're like, no, actually, yeah, um, he has to accept some rules of physics and he gets around it. So he's just actually that good. <laughs> and I think that was really cool. I know, and I love that like they made his suit out of his own hair so he could go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Gave me the willies a little bit. I was like, ooh. <laughs> and then my immediate <laughs> thought was like, this poor guy can't get his suit shredded like everyone else does. Yeah, better, <laughs> better that suit give you the willies than he give you the willy. So, um, yeah. Agree to disagree, Thor <laughs> oh, Odin. Gosh. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna commission Isad Ribic. No, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I I swear to God. I feel like a troublemaker. Um, no, I have like a list of commissions that I have of just like general, if you're ever getting commission, these are things you like. But mm-hmm. then like specific, I want this person to draw this thing. And I don't know if you've ever seen, Jorge Menes does a lot of My Hero Academia fan art. Really? Yeah, he's a huge fan of My Hero, which you can see in his artwork, honestly. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I want him to do Superman and Lemillion shaking hands or oh like hanging out by each other. Like that would be everything I ever wanted. That's that's gonna be my next like little fan fiction that I do. <laughs> Just Superman and Lemillion. I could, that would be beautiful. They'd be best friends. Exactly. Lemillion would be like so happy just to meet him. I've always thought about like this obviously the Superman like All Might team up, which would be fantastic, mm-hmm. but that would be a pretty good one too. Do you think All Might is a one-for-one for, one for Superman? Because I used to be like, oh, he's Superman. Mm-hmm. But after meeting Lemillion, I was like, you're Superman. <laughs> so who is All Might? I don't know. I, def- I, I definitely don't think either one of them is a one-for-one one of Superman. Yeah. Because um, I think both of them, Lemillion and, All-, and um, All Might, lack the perspective of being, like, the outsider. I think I think All, for, I think all Might understands it more because he used to be quirkless but i don't think he relates to having that power on him forever like superman has so it's it's interesting but just from a personality perspective i i I don't know it's hard they both have a lot of really good clark kent tendencies so i think just as you were talking and i was thinking all my tracks a lot more as like a captain america character Mm -hmm. to me which is fun. I mean, with the Oklahoma smash and all that crap. He's definitely yeah. a pastiche of American <laughs> superheroes. Exactly. But he very much feels like the, my favorite kinds of Steve Rogers books. I have complicated emotions about Steve Rogers. <laughs> oh, you and everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Turns out when you wrap a character in a flag, he uh, he gets complicated. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a just a teeny tiny bit. <laughs> Just yeah, who'd have thought? Not me. <laughs> oh, but speaking of smashes, though, one of my other favorite moments from this, just Deku 
getting to embrace just for a second fully who he can be and getting to unleash that 100%. Super that, Saiyan Deku. That remains, if not my favorite, one of my favorite moments in the whole in the whole series. It was so fun. It was so fun. I'm going to go back and watch the episodes of the anime for that because <laughs> I want to see that fight. I want to see him go sicko mode. It's handled so beautifully, and they add this, like, little song over it. Like, it's not often they'll pull, like, an actual song in over the anime, but they pull in this really sad and, like, triumphant song, and it, like, really, really hits. And I was actually going to talk about it, because I went back into the comic, because I rewatched the scene this morning, just because, you know, it's a favorite of mine, so I had to. Mm-hmm. I rewatched the scene, and I'm like, I wonder how that was like translated and i looked back you know covering the manga and the way it's drawn in the manga is actually very different when he's delivering that final like succession of blows it's one of the few times i think the manga the anime actually enhanced the representation of the manga because mm-hmm. a lot of times i feel like the art struggles a little bit more in anime because they have you know time restraints they have budgets but this was a moment that they knew like we need to deliver on this scene, and they really, really do. I'm very excited to hear what you think when you go back and watch the episodes for this, mm-hmm. because they go full out for the scene. Like, they're like, we need all the animators doing this one thing, and it's going to look really cool, and you're going to love it. So I think the way it was translated was very, very great. I'm very excited. I think, yeah. Oh. I keep just being like, oh, it was very good. But I want to have more complex thoughts than that. <laughs> it's, there's, <laughs> yeah, now I'm trying to think more complex thoughts too. Can we talk about Aerie for a second? She was so sweet. She was so sweet. And but just also like such a tragic character. A very tragic character, but a character who's introduced just for this, just for this arc, who has her own arc within it. Just her learning to reach out and just accept help mm-hmm. is something just the way she was being manipulated was so awful, but but it tracked so real as well. Yeah, yeah, because people are so manipulative like that, and they just convince people in abusive situations like that. That's like, oh, it's your fault that you're in pain. It's if if anyone tries to help you, they're gonna suffer too. So just why don't you take it for them? Why don't you be like the hero here and just suffer so no one else has to? And just putting that weight on someone is awful. And the decision, the bravery it takes for her to step out of that and accept someone else's help and hope that it's going to end for the better. That was that was an amazing moment. It was. And I, not to pivot too far away, but like her and Lamillion working together mm-hmm. there and helping each other be better was really fun. And I think it it was really magical it, came, it tracked a little cheesy for me when they were like, that's why superheroes wear capes, to protect little girls. I was like, <laughs> that sounds weird. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. But I was like, the sentiment is there, you mm-hmm. know, of like, this is what a superhero does. Right. Superheroes aren't about punching the bad guys in the street. They aren't. It's not Man of Steel. I'm sorry. I'm not. I don't want to be mean to people. It's not. It's not Man of Steel. Right. It's Lamillion saving Aerie, even when his quirk goes away, that he's going to stand there and he's going to kick ass because he has to protect this little girl and like to see I think he meant so much to her and helped her be brave and then she helped Deku like she'd just been helped it was just right. it was fun it was good it was what do you think about Lamillion's sacrifice I very much 
want it not to be permanent. <laughs> Even <laughs> though I just complimented the book about like there being real consequences. Right. The second that happened and then I found out what uh, her quirk could do, I was like, well, reverse it. <laughs> just give just it back. Undo. Give it back to the mans. We have our new personal retcon machine in right. continuity. So right. let's do it. I was like, if there's one thing I want retconned, it's that. And I think <laughs> overall, the story will be better if they like let that track, you know? Mm -hmm. And I have full faith in this creative team. They haven't disappointed me yet. Right. But I was, were... I was grumpy. I was sad. <laughs> I was like, you give me my favorite boy and then you rob me of him. Right. Okay. So just out of curiosity, then, if they were to bring it back, what would justify it? Mm, I mean, I think it would have to be like, because it was so cool to have him sacrifice his quirk knowingly, you know, because they established so well, they're like, there's no way we're going to hit him. Right. We, his powers, he's too good. We're not going to get him. And so they're like, we know how to hit him. Like he has to make the decision to sacrifice himself to save this little girl. And I was like, well, that's perfect. That's so in character with what you've shown me. Um, I would love if they're going to go the don't give Miss Quirk back, have him train like, uh, what, what's the name? Wildcat from the JSA, the mm -hmm. boxing guy. Let him be like that. Let him just like push himself <laughs> to the limit, like one, one punch man style right. of like, I'm going to be so strong without this Quirk that I'm still going to be a superhero. And that was one of my favorite things when he did lose the power that he just kept beating up on him. Like, he's like, I don't give a shit. I'm going like, to kick your ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are uh, assholes. Exactly. I was like, see, that's dope. And that that would be a really fun juxtaposition to Deku mm -hmm. is that, like, he he didn't get all for one, but he's still going to push himself to be right. the, ve the very best. <laughs> uh, or he could become a Pokemon trainer. Or... Oh. I think if they are going to give him his powers back, I think it has to be for, like, a big grand sacrifice, you know? Because, like, you don't want the Colossus effect of, I'm going to sacrifice myself to cure the legacy virus, and then I'm going to get resurrected so Joss Whedon can bang Kitty Pride through me. Uh, uh... Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm, I'm wrong. I'm not going to. That's why I'm screaming. <laughs> You know, like, imagine oh. if, if Colossus, another good, wholesome boy that has been marred by creepazoids, but... <laughs> Don't talk about beasts like that. <laughs> I'm talking about the writers. I feel like Colossus suffers because every writer that wasn't Chris Claremont has fallen in love with Kitty Pride and been like, I'm going to titillate myself with this character. Oh. I'm like, what if you didn't? Oh, I What just... if you didn't? I physically cringed. I can't. I can't. But like, I wish I was Kitty Pride and could just fade away right now. Yeah, exactly. Lamillion and Kitty Pride, same character. Um, but they're not <laughs> at all. But Lemillion imagine would never like be a pirate. Yeah, Lamillion becomes a pirate. That's what I want. There we go. Perfect. But what I was saying about Colossus, imagine if like he sacrificed himself to cure the legacy virus, and the first time we saw him back was on Krakoa. Like, imagine how that moment would have played out mm -hmm. instead of in astonishing him being like, surprise, Katya, I was in space. <laughs> I bring to you the hammer and the sickle. Come with me. You know, like. Oh. That's my least favorite euphemism of all time. Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. 
And so I don't want, if Lemillion gets powers back, which selfishly I want, but I don't think it's what's good for the character, it has to be worthwhile. You know, it can't just be to restore okay. a status quo that's interesting. Noted. Okay. I don't know. Am I talking on my butt? Have they solved this? No, in... no. I, I can't tell you if they've solved it or not. I'm I just know, curious I what know. you think. I know. <laughs> oh. I know. People are listening to this, like, all caught up, and they're like, you simple fool. <laughs> you simple fool. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> We're not even playing chess anymore. We're playing 4D chess now. <laughs> like, oh no. Oh, they've seen the future and they know. They have, just like All Might's sidekick. They've seen the future they, and it's everyone unchangeable. Lis- everyone listening to Sir Night Eye. <laughs> exactly. It's what? everyone's Night Eye and I'm stupid Deku. Like, I can change the future. Like, what it's already been about- written. Right. What did you think about him, by the way? I thought he was a really interesting character. I, I like the idea of All Might's sidekick being so different from All Might. Mm-hmm. But, like, seeing the value in who, in who All Might was. You right. know, even in a way that I don't know that All Might always saw about himself. They, I think more than anybody other than Deku, he understood what the symbol of All Might meant. Right. And so I thought he was... He was fun. I think he stayed around as long as he needed to for the story, mm-hmm. which that might sound callous if someone's like, he was my favorite character. And I was like, like they capped him in 30 issues. You know? You're like, we're done with him. Kick. <laughs> Goodbye. Well, he came into the story at a really great time. He taught Deku some really great lessons. And then he taught the whole group a lesson by being like, no, you as superheroes can change the future. Like, that was a cool beat to go out on. Right. Yeah. He I, made, I He made Lemillion cry, though. And that's <laughs> unacceptable. Unacceptable. He made everyone cry. That was that was so much. I think, is that, am I wrong? Is that the first major death that's occurred in the series so far? I feel like the answer should be no, but it kind of tracks yes. Because, like, I mean, All Might doesn't die, but he sort of dies, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like actual dead probably yeah because I there's been you know heroes that have been taken and there's been like definitely violence but I yeah I'm pretty sure this is the first time someone has actually died so that's that's an interesting change of pace it is I definitely feel like this was the stretch of book that shifted away it feels like the end of I feel bad keep coming back to Harry Potter like fuck jk rowling i just want to put that out there you know but like Mm -hmm. it's a big reference point of my childhood the you have like the shift at i I turned off the camera sorry everyone my wife is walking back in the background and so the camera got turned off but you have the shift in the fourth harry potter book right where they're like we're light fun christmas time book to now we have grown-up problems and I feel like this was the now we have grown up problems arc. Very much. Because, you know, the League of Villains is like terrifying. But I think, um, what's his name? Oh, I forget the, the bad guy's name. What, Overhaul? Mr. Yeah, Overhaul. Mr. Dusty Fingers. He is, <laughs> compared to the League of Villains, his motivations and what he can do are just pure, purely terrifying. League of Villains up to this point has felt like, mwahaha, we're evil because we are evil. <laughs> Which is the and, best kind of villain. Yeah. 
But this guy's like, I'm going to torture a child because I want to get into the drug trade. You know? Yeah, which it tracks differently. Very much. It lands differently. It makes you feel differently. It makes you uncomfy. And he is mm-hmm. the he's the first villain who's made me like very uncomfy. Like obviously, um, Shigaraki is very terrifying. I really like the the whole design he has with the hands covering his body, and mm-hmm. he makes me uneasy. But Overhaul made my skin crawl. He made me nervous for them to fight him. Well, I like that even like the people around him were like, "This guy's a lot. Like, this yeah. guy's crazy." You know what I mean? I thought that was a good beat to hit. All right. I think we have said that this book is very good in a lot of fun and unique ways. Do you have? No, we haven't. But we've certainly (laughs) done it for a while. I just hope it's clear through this conversation that as I, and I I know Anne, we both really enjoy this. And if you love superheroes and you haven't looked at My Hero Academia, give it a try. You know what I mean? I felt like this week as I was reading this, I was like, all of my friends that are so sad about where the Teen Titans are at and where all the legacy characters are at right. with DC, mm-hmm. obviously, you can't just swap out and replace characters you care about. But, like, go read My Hero Academia instead. Because <laughs> they're going to treat your legacy characters right, you know? I don't know. How do you feel about that, Anne? I, I think that's perfect. If you want a story that's actually going to feel like it has consequences and actually moves forward, this is a great place to go. And if you're really missing just having young characters that you can just take comfort in and enjoy, but also have to face some pretty serious stuff, without it feeling so overwhelmingly depressing, then this is definitely the place to go. And I hate, I don't want to, like, talk bad on a current run, but I think this arc, this, this, this series does something that I wish the current, titans academy book would do where it Mm -hmm. actually makes you like i've said before it makes you care about every character i can tell you if not their names at least what each character in this class can do that is so much more than i can do for the current titans academy right now i have no idea who anyone in that book is i know there's the bat pack and that's about it it's this does such a much this does a much better job balancing all these characters and making you actually making them all feel unique at least and if that's something that you feel like the titans academy book is struggling with like now like i do this is definitely going to be a nice holdover until that book settles into something different yeah i agree i think like we said at the top of the show if you're a big fan of the special high school trope mm-hmm. this is the best place that's happening right now absolutely I think from the big two comics, I would recommend Strange Academy. Feels mm-hmm. It's obviously Scotty Young being like, my hero rules. I want to do that for Marvel, you know? And but it I works think out he does pretty well. Job. Yeah, he yeah. does a great job. I think Scotty Young is an incredible talent in comic books. Yeah. So we've said a thousand times that we really like this, but is there anything about this that we didn't like? I will never not have a hard time with how horny <laughs> um, books come across. The Shonen Jump mangas come across. Yeah, we could have just, is there anything we don't like? And then take a like, three-second pause and then in unison just say Minetta. Minetta. I do not like Great Boy. And I feel like the book as a whole got hornier as well. 
I feel like there were yeah. so many more female characters that are like, I have to be nude for my power to work. Um, <laughs> Bubble Girl, um, that was something. Just um, finding out that Night Eye's method of punishment is to tickle his subordinates. Yeah, yeah. That's something. I like the underboob was her costume too. I thought. I mean, to be, it's a look, but yeah, no. <laughs> I just like anytime I'm like, this is weird, and then I'm like, oh yeah, and they're also fourteen, and I'm like, this is very weird. The sexualization of these characters is always been a little problematic, especially among the fan base. I'm begging you, please stop sexualizing these characters. If you are listening to this, just just please stop. I, especially if you're over the age of 18, please chill. Um, it's I could say a lot about the way female characters in this series are handled because I was talking, you know, I mentioned the big three earlier and how like there's big moments for Lemillion and big moments for Sun Eater. There's no big moments for Hattare. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we don't get to really focus on like Sue or Uravity or any of the other female characters who go on the raid. They're just kind of there, and that's that's always been a big hang-up for me in the series, is I feel like they don't get as much a chance as a lot of the male characters do. It's like the opposite of Claremont X-Men, where yeah. the boys weren't allowed to play in Claremont X-Men. Yeah. The girls aren't allowed to play in My Hero Academia. Yeah. It's like they do enough to where it's like they feel, they feel nice, they feel complete for the most part, but I wish they got more. They don't get, like, the big powerful moments, even though there's... One of them's literally a dragon. She's so cool. She's really cool, but she doesn't get those like huge moments to stand out. She breaks through the ceiling ones, and that's about it. Yeah, every time she was on the panel, I was like, do more with her. Exactly. You have a dragon. You have a dragon with boobs. You're not using it every day. Boob dragon. That's someone's fetish. Go to DeviantArt. I'm sure that's somewhere. Please don't. Please don't let us in. be the reason. Oh, no, she's typing it in. Man, our, um, boob, dragon. boob dragon. I'm going to regret this. You I'm going to really regret are. this so hard. That's going to be in your search history. Um, Actually, what? I type in boob dragon, the first thing that pops up is ass. I give up. DeviantArt's a shit site. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I signed up for. Be gone. Uh, yeah, I feel like... <laughs> The first major stretch of the book that I read, Mineta was the main horny thing that bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> and this time, I feel like the book got kind of horny in like a way that was disappointing to me. That's always been my huge hang-up with Shonen Jump mangas. I feel like every single one I read, there's a decent amount of horny in there that like really turns me off. Mm-hmm. It's funny because... <laughs> Like, they keep making a joke how, like, Mineta's in the wrong here and how, like, the, the female characters, like, try to straighten him out. It's like, if you guys are writing this and you know he's in the wrong, why does it keep happening? When it's yeah, yeah. Just for the sake of fan service. Yeah. I... But... Not my fave. <sighs> Mineta. Honestly, I would curb stomp that grape boy with no regrets. <laughs> just turn him into grape juice. I, I think most people would. I don't trust anyone who looks me dead in the eyes and says, I actually like Mineta. Mineta's funny. I don't, I, you can have your opinion, but I do not trust you anymore. Yeah, for real. All right. Should we go over listener questions? Yes, let's. Okay. So you all are wonderful. And you sent in a number of MHA podcast questions. 
The first comes from Jamie Wallace. Hi, Ann and Dallas. If either of you were to switch one member of Class 1A and 1B over, who would it be? Also, don't say Manetta because we all want him dead anyway. Oh, son of a gun. That's, I know. That's that, was cheating. My whole, that was my whole answer. Keep this little grape loser. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, all right, so I don't send him to Class 1B. I kill him. And then... <laughs> we kill oh him. And then bring in um, what's his face, um, voice control lad from. <laughs> oh yeah, voice control boy is pretty cool. God, I just. I whatever. say we ship off tail boy, and we switch him for voice control lad. Oh, you're sending off um, dis- discount Luke Skywalker. That's what his outfit yes. always reminds me of. Yes, Luke Skywalker with the tail. Oh, that's a pretty good switch. Um. I'm going to pick, okay, I have to pick, since I have to pick someone different, and I can't pick freaking Minoru, Mineta, uh, this is, this is a hard one. You, you took my choice, I hate you, I'm so mad. Okay, I'm sending over, um, Rikido Sato, um, Sugar Rush, I'm sending him, and I'm exchanging him for probably Kendo, I really like Kendo. What's his quirk again? Her quirk is um oh, she, yeah. she's um basically Miss Marvel. She does the big fist thing. Ooh, yeah. I like it. I I really like her personality. I class one A could use more like bubbly female personalities, and I'm bringing her over. I definitely I would bring over Ibarra, the vines lady. Oh my gosh, yes. I think she is cool, and I like, think we need more dynamic female characters. Exactly. I love that someone said, "What if Poison Ivy, but just the hair." But just the hair. <laughs> it's the key. It's the key. The key is the hair, and don't let men write her. <laughs> this is the way. All right. From Eliza Von Doom, we have BNHA podcast question. Oh, a weeboo, I see. They put Ooh. Baku no Hiro Academia. <laughs> I think, honestly, can I be honest? I've been calling it that more recently, but that's just because I've reached the point in Duolingo where I understand how to spell bo- like Boku. So I've gotten to that part of grammar. So Weeboo. I've, I've become the Weeboo. You have embraced the Weeboo. You just go up to your partner and be like, have you embraced Weeboo today, <laughs> Nani? My, my waifu pillow's on its way. I'm not going to tell you who's on it. <laughs> it's Captain Marvel. No, shut up. It's a space blonde. <laughs> Space Bond waifu pillow. Oh my gosh. I don't even want to... I, I kind of want to Google that too to see if there's a result. I'm just sending you down a dark path today. I'm going to let you type yes. that in while I while I write this out. I'm, I'm a writer. My search history is already shit. <laughs> All right. Hello, Anne in Dallas. I was wondering your thoughts on Saro Hanta, and more specifically, his nod to Spider-Man saying he deeply respects that one hero from America who can shoot spider threads. And if nobody else mentions it, Momo and Toru could just wear clothes made of their own hair, and it would work fine with their quirks, just like Mirio does. But then there's no boobies, Eliza. You don't understand. <laughs> there's some, there's the deep manga logic of boobies. Boobies. You have to have them on underage characters especially. If she underage, she gotta have boobies. It's manga. I we agree with you. Yeah, yeah. That lemur, it's being sexualized. That lemur's being sexualized. <laughs> Honestly, Momo gets it. 
Momo like, gets if there was any NSFW character in Avatar The Last Airbender, it's Momo. He's exactly. such a skeeze. <laughs> you look into his eyes and you're like, that guy fucks. Oh my gosh. All right, what do you think of tape elbows? Sarah Hanta. I I think he's really funny. I think he's one of those characters that he's just a joy to be around. He he's not that deep from what I see, but he's just he's fun, and I think that definitely takes some inspiration from Spider Man because mm-hmm. you know Spider Man's a fun character too. And it's before I ever read that quote, that's always what I assumed. I'm like, this has to be the Spider Man. This is the Spider Man um, analog, right? It has to be. There's no way it isn't. Yeah, I think it's it's also fun to me, though, to think that my hero is existing in the same universe as the Marvel Universe. Yeah, that's just what's happening in Japan. Oh, I he has one of the most subtle costume aspects that I like, though. And I like that it's it's his helmet because it looks like a a roll of scotch tape. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Really? I have to go look. Yeah, you have to look at that because once you see it, you can't unsee it. You're like, okay, you clever bastard. That's good. See, and you don't understand. I'm stupid. That's my thing. <laughs> You're horny, and I'm stupid. And together, and together, we are the Comics Collective podcast. We do the little Dragon Ball dance. Find out next week on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> oh, it's always. I think it's weird though that it comes out of his elbows, but I guess it makes sense from a design perspective to have like the quote-unquote roll of tape in there. Oh yeah, that is a Scotch tape helmet. That's dope. Yeah. Right. Wow. 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 If only they put that much thought into Momo's costume. See, boobies. Also, Bakugo is able to use his dynamite hands with his gloves on, but Momo has got to wear nun clothes. Yep. All right. Glenn Machette, keeping the streak, says, I know nothing about My Hero Academia. Same. All right. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for writing us in today. Okay, everyone, that's been the Comics Collective. But I don't want to break my question streak, so here it goes. Do you think Captain Awesome will ever get revenge on Mr. Furry for what he did to Professor P. Lot Driver? See, what's funny, Glenn, is I've read the book, and honestly, I had to pause and be like, are these real? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So first, Captain Awesome. Who's Captain Awesome? If we had to describe a character in this book to be Captain Awesome, who would it be? Um, I mean, it has to be All Might, right? That's yeah, Captain it has to be. Okay, so furry. Who's the furry? Um, wolf teacher. Wolf teacher. Oh my God. <laughs> hey, Glenn's not even that far off. He's not. I mean, we can find someone for all of these. Um, there's a professor. There's definitely a professor. You haven't gotten there yet, but there is an evil professor. Oh, good. You're welcome. Professor Plot Driver. I like it. <laughs> Who do you feel like is the most plot drivey character that's been introduced? Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's... I feel like most of the villains have fit that, because all the villains just show up to give the heroes something to to drive them forward. I feel like the introduction of the hero killer a couple arcs ago really fit that, but in this arc, I, I don't know. I got nothing. You know what, Glenn? You're going to be Professor Plot Driver. Yeah. And All Might will fight you. Professor Butt Muncher. Oh. I love uh, you, Glenn. Uh, I love oh. you. Please don't leave. Uh. 
Um, all right. We have a question from Omar. He says, hope this hasn't been asked yet, but what do you think about the series villains so far? Who are your faves? How do you compare them to famous recurring Western comics villains? Love the podcast. Mm. Cheers from Omar. We talked a little bit about overhaul being super sketch <laughs> and hand face man is super creepy. Mm-hmm. I feel like they all have really iconic designs. I feel like they haven't shown up enough in what I've read to have like iconic personalities. Right. Except for like, that guy's name was Stain, right? Yep. I like Stain. I think he's cool. Stain's really cool. But of course that's part of the plot is everyone thinks he's really cool, even though he's kind of a murderer. So let's see who, if I don't know if they all have direct analogs, I like that all for one is this very overpowering like super being. And it's like his rivalry with All Might is very akin to like something it's definitely something on the level of like a Batman Joker where it's like this is the this is the end goal for this character. This is the biggest threat they will ever face. But it feels Power-wise, it's more like a Superman doomsday thing, but with a much more innate and complicated relationship. Yeah, I like how it's more of a dark mirror than we tend to get in a Western comic. Because right. think about like legacy characters um, going into what um, All for One has done to all the holders of um, One for One for All in the past, and just the fact that he killed my favorite character in the entire series, Nana Shimura. And how he always holds that over All Might's head. It's like if Doomsday was a sadistic bastard who murdered Clark Kent and now John has to fight him. That's the like level of relationship that they have. And I think it's you don't have that in modern comics because you don't get that, you know, the legacy. You don't have heroes that slain the last one that the new one has to get revenge on because that just doesn't happen. Because those old characters don't die. I I can't remember if that's ever happened. Even like temporarily. If like a hero, a legacy hero has had to fight and beat the hero who killed the last one. Other than like maybe some post-apocalyptic like a Children of the Avengers stories type things. But I don't yeah. know. I honestly think that that's the biggest strength of my hero academia is mm-hmm. just that it's a book where they actually get to have legacy and you get a character like all for one that means something to generations of characters. Yeah. That's and very it, cool. I think, um, cause I talked about how stressful both those fights, maybe the one versus overhaul and the one versus um, all for one. It's the fact that, you know, there are consequences here that make these villains so scary. And the fact that one of them could kill you with a touch yeah. And you don't see stuff like that in modern comics, because even if there was a villain that could kill you with a touch, you never feel like the main hero's in danger. And to see such brutal powers used in such a vulnerable setting, if that makes sense, that gives these villains an edge that I really don't think we see, that I don't think we've seen since Doomsday in the 90s in Western comics. Because I agree. That, that was the last time that a villain showed up and you'd believe that it actually has an effect because killing characters off and bringing them back hadn't been as established back then and killing Superman was actually a big deal for one minute. 
for exactly think, one minute, maybe 61 seconds. Exactly. If they <laughs> and I think that's the closest you can possibly get to the feeling that these villains bring. I would agree. And so I would say to, to Glenn and anyone else listening to this that hasn't read My Hero Academia, if you show up here on a regular basis, you obviously like superhero comics. Mm-hmm. We, that's what we talk about. We like superhero comics. And I think My Hero Academia is in the running for the best superhero comic coming out mm-hmm. of this decade. Yeah. Like, I th- I'd be hard-pressed to pick something else. I think it's, it would be hard for someone not to like this series. I think, besides the few problems we mentioned, and they are problems, they're not overwhelming to the point where it's like you can't enjoy it. If you can switch your brain off for, like, those few moments, if you can just ignore Mineta every time he's on page or screen then i think you're gonna still have a really good time because the characters grow in such unique ways it's an it's an experience then you have to you have to at least try it i think i think if you try it and enjoy it you'll (laughs) you'll have a good time i also think this is a really easy first manga for people to pick up i feel like it it obviously has a love for western comics on its sleeve it references them all the time. It's playing with what tends to be a very American set of rules and tropes, but it brings it into the manga world and the manga style. And so I think it's fun. I think you should give it a read. And I'm sure we'll cover another 100 chapters next time Alexis goes and does something, <laughs> because we are the weeboo two-thirds of this exactly. podcast. We can break everything down into two-thirds. You know, you've got the two-thirds of the cool people, which is you and Alexis. Obviously. We've got the two-thirds weeboos, which is you and I. And then you've got the two-thirds came from the same parents, me and Alexis. (laughs) Oh, see, if we were in a Western comic right now, this is where I'd reveal that I'm actually your long-lost sibling. Exactly. You're Adam X. Surprise. (laughs) Alexis is Havoc, and I'm Scott Summers. Surprise. Just be thankful I'm not Vulcan. I'm always thankful that you're not Vulcan. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, Vulcan. What a what a 2000s comic book character. Uh, shout out to my Vulcan fans out there, because yeah. I know you're out there. You are, and they, they love that guy. Oh yeah. I've, I don't know that there's any, like, my character had one big story and they're my whole personality character, like Vulcan. And I love that for oh. you. I appreciate you. I'm a huge Betty Brant fan, so oh. like, mine is Andy Curry. So like, I get true. it. True. You're even worse than them. You had less. <laughs> you had like four issues, and you're like, this character is everything to me. Exactly. And I will just I will burn DC Comics down if I don't see her within the next year. And I mean her, not baby her. I'm looking right at you. Y'all think you can get away with this? You can't. I'm smarter. I know. You're going to try to scrape by with just the cute little baby. Like, that's going to make me happy. And it's not. It'll make me happy, but you know what I mean. <laughs> this is a threat. <laughs> I am making a not-so-subtle threat on live podcast. It's Don't... very it's very strongly worded. It's very strongly worded. It's very serious. I would never joke about Andy Curry. Don't you dare edit this out. <laughs> Oh, I would never put that much work into this podcast. (laughs) It's like, if you want to make a fool of yourself, go for it. I will not save your ass. No way. I was listening to one the other day where they're like, oh, are you going to go back and edit that sentence out? I was like, I could never. Nope. If you say something stupid, the whole world's going to hear. 
<sighs> All right. Let's read our outro and get the okay. heck out of here. If you liked the show and want to hear more of us through the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective. Or you can find each of us at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Taylor underscore 123. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review, and we'll read it off on the show just like, do we have any? Do, oh, we, do we have any? Do I, don't th- I don't know. I didn't check. Let's oh say God. no and read it next week if there okay. was one. We will read it next week if there are any lovely folks out there. So there's plenty of time for you to get them in. <laughs> yeah, write a five-star review. If you write in a five-star review, that would be a good way to try and sneak in a recommendation because <clears throat> then we'd have to read it on the show. Yeah. And don't tell anyone, but we're definitely looking for Rex. We could use some books to read. See you next week for our Night at the Eisners. We all... (laughs) I feel bad that I didn't know the song. Did we have a song? I just wrote it there on the spot. Look at that. Look at us go. Um, We all are picking a different winner from the Eisners a couple weeks ago. And we're going to bring him to the show and talk about him. I already kind of hinted I'm going to read Remina from Junji Ito that won an Eisner the other night because I'm in a weeboo mood. So <laughs> that's what I'm reading. I don't know if Anna's decided yet or if Lexi's decided yet. I, I need to ask um, Lexi what she's reading because I was kind of thinking Dragon Hoops, but I need to make sure that she's not going to grab I that I assure one. you she's not oh. going to. It is too long. Okay. Too okay. long for Lexi Lou. I will try to drag... I will, ugh, I will try to grab Dragon Hoops. It's so good. I'm excited to hear you talk about it. It was my favorite book last year. Very excited. All right. Cool. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.